the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is gardening writer and broadcaster Jeff Hodge. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from beetroot to wisteria. But first, we have tips for things you can be getting on with in the garden this week. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Jeff, welcome to the programme. When we've had even more ice and frost this week, it's turning into quite a cold month. But at least there's been some gorgeous sunsets, haven't there? Have you noticed those? They certainly have. So, what are we going to talk about? Let's look forward to a gorgeous, hot, brilliant, wonderful summer. Because now's the time you should be buying your summer flowering bulbs. Nice to think of those, isn't it? It is, because, you know, they are, to me, they're one of the highlights of summer. Uh, Lots of different types to choose from. They come in in a rainbow of colours. Lots of them are are quite bright, strong colours. I mean, what garden can do without begonias, cannas, dahlias, gladioli and lilies, just to name the more popular ones? And we're talking about keeping them and looking after them through the winter, but actually... Get out there and buy some more anyway, even if you've kept some. Yeah, Uh, I mean, not all of them are completely hardy, uh, apart from lilies. So you can't actually plant them outside now. But if you buy them now, you're going to get the varieties and the types that you want. If you leave it later, they may have well run out. Um, So, you know, keep them somewhere cool. Cool. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, they don't start shooting prematurely. But if you've got um, a a cool greenhouse or a conservatory or somewhere that's frost free, then you can pot them up. Uh, And by doing that now, they'll be establishing and growing on. So when you do come to plant them out in late spring, then they will obviously got ahead of themselves and they'll flower a lot earlier. And look even better. Give your neighbours a shock. And yourself, possibly. Yeah. Now, I've been uh, pruning a wisteria this I've seen, week. I've seen the pictures yeah. on now, social media. <laughs> now, it's not too late to prune things like that because they're totally dormant. And really, it's, it's, it's actually very similar to fruit tree pruning because we're actually trying to produce buds to produce flower, aren't we? Yeah, so, and, and obviously to tidy up any of that oh, wayward yes. growth. Yes, because you get all those twisty wiggly bits that you don't really need at all and they're usually growing in the wrong place exactly so choose choose the stems that you want and then from those you've got spurs that are growing and you either cut those back to two or three buds and those are the those are the buds that will hopefully produce you your flower and it's as simple as that. But at this time of year, you know, it's not just about going across it with, a, with the shears. It's actually pruning it and training it and tying it in and getting it to be where you want it and to go where you want it. You might want to spread it right across the back of the house. I know um, Peter uh, here at BBC Essex has got one that runs right across the back of his house and they can look fantastic. So it's prune and train your wisterias ready for summer. Okay, I'm going. I'm going a bit lower. I'm going. I'm going ground level. I'm thinking it's a good idea to remove the old leaves from your hellebores. Oh yeah. Particularly Helleborus niger, the Christmas rose, so called because it never flowers at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things. If you remove all the old leaves, it'll make the the blooms that are there more visible. It'll also tidy up the plants, and also there is a, a hellebore leaf spot which. That's nasty. It keeps going. Looks horrible. It does, on the old foliage. So if you remove all the old leaves, you're going to remove some of the source of infection. 
And there are so many. It's also just a reminder. It's a good time to buy them, isn't it? Because they're in yeah, flower and yeah, they yeah. look good. And uh, you know, if you've got a sort of semi shady area. Yeah, fantastic. And as long they? as the soil isn't frozen solid, you can plant. You them. can plant them then. Now. We talked a lot in the autumn of picking apples at the right time, correctly, seeing that they're ripe properly. We talked about wrapping them and or laying them in trays separate mm. so they don't touch. So good idea if you've forgotten about them in the apple store, which could be your garage or your shed, hopefully frost-free, worth checking them. Because if you get one with mould or mildew on, starts to rot, it will spread very quickly to all the other apples. You could have pears as well like that. My old dad used to wrap them up in newspaper, but we still used to just gently feel them. And if you've got a soft one, out, throw it away, and then keep on eating the ones that are left. Yeah, otherwise it's just going to spread to all the others and soon you're going to have a tray full of mouldy specimens. Horrible. Horrible. And you can, you know, if you're careful with apples, they can last right through the winter. Yeah. So what else have you got for us today, Jeff? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm popping into the vegetable garden because uh, garden centres and, and nurseries will have their stocks of seed potatoes. So, uh, again bit like your summer flowering bulbs, get out there and start buying the varieties that you want. And again, it is far too early to plant them outside. Um, they're normally planted out in, in April. Some people try and do it as early as possible and maybe do it at the end of March. Um, but in the in the potato world, in the if you talk to a potato expert, there's huge discussion at the moment. Oh, do you chit, chit your, pot you your potatoes chit. or not? Now that really, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, that's actually letting them sprout before you yes. plant them, really, isn't it? Yeah, you basically put them in in something like uh, uh, an egg box or a, or a seed tray with the eye end up. That's the end with the with the little well, the little eyes uh, in a cool frost-free but fairly well-lit position to get really strong dark green shoots about an inch inch and a half long ready for when you plant them out now some people say well it's a great way of doing it because it gives you bigger crops and earlier crops and some people say it's a complete waste of time because it doesn't do anything at all so what does jeff hodge think well what i think is if you order your seed potatoes from a uh, from a, a seed catalog they're going to deliver them now the garden centres have got them in stock now. And you can't plant them till? And you can't plant them out until the end of March, early April. So what on earth are you going to do with them? So you, what if you buy them now and you don't chit them, you'll leave them in their nets, you'll put them somewhere at the back of the shed or the garage. And, and the come, roots will all join up to each exactly, other, Exactly, and then they? you've got a, a tangled mess, and then people spend about three hours with a pair of scissors cutting the net around horrible white shoots that are never going to give you a good crop. So I say chit. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. We're going to be talking beetroot with Alan. Hello, Alan. Hello, Ken, Jeff. Um, I planted beetroot last year. I've dug them all up now except one. I've just dug the last one, and it's a white one. And it's a great big one. It weighs four pound in weight. Wow, um, there's a monster. It's going to, be, yeah. going to be difficult putting that in a jar with some vinegar. <laughs> Well, that's what I, is it possible to cook it and eat it? I, I have cut a bit off the bottom and tasted it. It doesn't doesn't got a lot of taste to it. But uh, do you think it is? A, I'm just wondering whether it isn't a beetroot. No, it well, could be it a beetroot. came in the beetroot packet. It's a yeah. packet of Bolt Hardy. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Could be a beetroot. You could, you, they come in. Oh, they, they do come. They I come know, in different yeah. colours these yeah. days. They're oh, not, not all beetroot are red. Are Bolt Hardy yeah. though red? Well, no, Bolt Hardy. It looked like. 
didn't each one. It was growing nice green leaves on the top. That's so why don't I worry about it. Ah, you see, that's not. That's what I'm thinking. Because if it's bolt hardy, should be red. Well, yeah. yes, but you are, you'll always get stray seeds, and you sometimes get I think mutations. This is a stray but it seed sounds with like a, a stray spinach seed. top. It's a beet, isn't it? It's a chard. Yes, it's a chard or a beet, more than likely. Yeah, actually, it looked a bit like a turnip or a mangle wurzel. Manglewurzel, that's a uh, word I haven't heard for a long time, manglewurzel. It's like a sugar beet. Yeah, they're all related. They're all related, all aren't they? Related. Uh, can yeah. he eat it then? <laughs> well, I did try a bit. I cut a piece off and cooked it, and it yep. was uh, very hard, hardly any taste to it at all. But, uh, you know, I don't want to waste it. Um, I'm going to cook it and uh, Waste not, it. want not. Cook it, that's cook right. it, Alan. Cook, cook it, Alan. Tell us, tell us what, it, what it was like. If I was you, I would bake it. Bake it. Oh, yeah, right. it'd be nice, wouldn't it? If you uh, what, bake... wrap it in um, wrap it in foil and bake it. No, not necessarily. Just lose Just it in the pan. In a in a pan with a little bit of olive oil in the bottom. Bake baking beetroot. Rapeseed oil makes it taste even better. Does it? Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll put that to the chef. <laughs> and and then of course the leaves. If you know, as long as they're not too tatty, you can use the leaves. You can steam those. Use them in a stir fry or something. No, I'm afraid they all got eaten by the slugs, etc. Oh, right, OK. Anyway, let us know how you get on and what it's like, because we'd like to know. Daphne in Colchester. Hi, Daphne. What do you got for us today? An Hello, orchid? Ken Which and orchid? Uh, Jeff. Um, it's not about outdoor plants. Mine are about indoor plants. Yes, an orchid. Yeah, which orchid yeah. is it? Um, I, I don't know. Has I've never had pa- orchids before. Has it got One's a pa- very tall and pink, a dark pink. And uh, I had that in November, and yep. I watered it with half a small glass of water, and that's fine. Right. And um, I had the other one in November from my brother, and uh, that's got bigger pink um, petals, right. and they're stripy. But when I watered that the same amount, um, they started dropping off. So I was told by someone who does have all kids to put two tablespoonfuls of water. Is that right? It doesn't. It's you can't you, you judge. Can't, you can't. You can't judge. judge. Um, right. What are the flowers like? Are they round pansy-like flowers, or are they little small flowers? The big, tall pink one is um, quite big, but it's like more a pansy. like a pansy. Yeah. yeah. What about and the other the one? Pink, the pink one is a bigger flower with a, a pale pink stripe. It's much lighter. But it's the I've same type of flower. Before. They're both Sorry? the same type of flower, looking the same. Oh, yes, Other than yes. the colours. Right, OK, we've got Phalaenopsis then, haven't we, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, uh, any any indoor plant, it, you, you can't judge exactly, you know, is it two tablespoons, is it 20 tablespoons, is it half a pint, is it a gallon of water? You, you, yes. have, you have to water your, your indoor houseplants by judging whether they need water and when they need water. Um, <coughs> for, for orchids, what I basically do is uh, every now and again, um, perhaps once a month, every couple of months... I'll actually dunk the pot in tepid. Always use tepid water for your house plants because if you use yeah. cold water, you'll give them give a shock, shock and kill them. It? So yeah. I, I, I dunk the pot in some tepid water and I then put it out to dry. And I only do that every couple of months because I find the best way to water your orchids is actually just to mist the foliage yeah. because they it need... Feels- they were bought from a shop or a, a nursery. Doesn't, ma- doesn't matter where they were bought from, Daphne. It's exactly the no, same. They haven't got. They haven't got a hole in the bottom. That's what I'm saying. I can't put it in water. Oh, there's no hole in the bottom of the pot. No, no. So I have to water them from the top. You oh. sure? If you lift it out, it isn't a plastic pot inside a pot. Um, no, it's got plastic round it. No plastic, yes. like a paper. But the um, the pot is solid. 
Right, well, I'd get yourself a hot needle and I'd, and I'd make two holes because drainage right. is vital for orchids, which oh, is right. why, which is why, why you grow them in bark, not compost, because bark oh, drains right. very quickly. They don't yeah. like having their, their feet wet. Oh, right, so, let me. <laughs> <laughs> make a couple of drainage holes, water them once a month by dunking them and do most of your watering actually by misting the foliage and the flowers. OK, and we are staying on houseplants with Angie in Southend, aren't we? Yes, hello. We are. hello, hello, are, Ken. We? Good morning. Begonias hello? and yes, we're talking poinsettias. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I was given a poinsettia for Christmas, so I don't know how to look after it indoors. Do I need to put it outdoors? No, you can't put it outside. It's a house plant. Well, okay. not not unless you not unless you want to kill it. <laughs> Sorry. How do I look after it indoors? Well, how have you looked after it for the last month? Um, just watered it regularly, but the leaves are falling. Okay, all right. Uh, poinsettias are, are <clears throat> can be a bit tricky, and that trickiness can actually start before you even get it home because right. they are very susceptible to cold and to drafts. And if yeah. you bought it from... Well, hopefully it was bought from a garden centre. Hopefully it was wrapped on the way home. And yeah. hopefully you've put it somewhere nice, well, reasonably warm, with good sunlight, but out of draughts. It's but, in my lounge. Well, I don't know what your lounge looks like, Angie. Uh, it's warm. It gets the morning sun. OK, well, that, might not, that uh, might not be enough sun. Pardon? Yeah, that might not be enough sun if it only gets the morning sun. It likes sun more or less all day, but not strong oh. burning sunlight. And the oh. fact that it's dropping its leaves could be that you've underwatered it or you've overwatered it or as I said it could have actually happened before you even be before it even got into your house. They are a bit temperamental. Once the leaves start dropping, it's yeah. usually a sign that it's on its way out. Okay, we'll see what happens with So that. keep the compost eat the begonia then please. Begonia, what sort of begonia? Uh, I don't know. I I was given it as a present. Is it well. a foliage? Is it only foliage, or, or is it got flowers? Does it have flowers? I've got flowers. Okay, okay, so it's a flowering begonia as opposed to foliage begonia. Okay, um, they can be kept a lot cooler than the poinsettia because uh, they don't like hot conditions. They mm -hmm. like the compost to be kept moist and, mm -hmm. and always water them from underneath, never from the top. Good okay. overall light, but again, and never any strong burning direct sunlight. So never put them on a south-facing windowsill, um, and give them a good um, a houseplant feed at least once every week to to ten days to to keep them flowering. Yeah. Okay, Angie. Lovely. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That's Angie in South End looked after. Let's go to Anne from Braintree. Wisterias, we're talking, are we, Anne? Hello there, Ken. Hi there, Jeff. Hi. Yeah, it's actually my daughter um, moved into a house in June and has a wisteria which was grown up against the trellis and the fence, but mm. it has about probably two or three main trunks. It's so unruly. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we can do to, you know, sort of... Prune it. Can <laughs> you prune back? I mean, they're, they're huge stems. They're how big, how big are these stems? Um, I'd say probably about four inches diameter like yeah this, probably four or five they're, they're sort of i know you meant to only have one main stem aren't you is that well, right well no you can not have, necessarily no, you, you can, can train several. you can train wisterias how however you like right so would you suggest cutting back all the like it's a, it's tangled up in all the um the trellis okay well obviously it, it needs the trellis for support 
Yeah. So yeah. you 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 know it it it's not a self-supporting plant. It needs tying in. Yeah. Um. Now actually is is one of the main times to prune oh, wisteria. Yeah, I read it in one of the papers. But so would you cut back some of the main stems then? Or well, keep, what what I would root? do is I would I would stand back and take a good overall look at it. Yes. Yeah. And then any growth, uh, certainly any of that the whippy growth, the sort of the very yeah. thin stems from last year. Mm-hmm. Any of those that are growing in totally the wrong place, uh, the the main pruning that you do at this time of year is you cut those back to sort of an, an inch or an inch and a half or, or, two, or, buds. or two or three buds from right. where they join the main framework because that's where the flowers will form. And what you are doing by pruning now that hard is you are uh, encouraging flower bud formation. Right. So I would start by taking all that growth back. Then, once you've done that, then you can stand back again and see if there are any major branches, the, the thicker branches, the, the, the sort of the, the structural branches that, yeah. are, are, that are in the wrong place. And then those I would prune back and tidy up and sort of decide which ones you want to keep and which ones you need to get rid of. All right. Right. So you can do quite a major sort of, well, prune if you want to, once you look yes. at the structure. If, of it if you need to, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then obviously coming, when you get new growth, make sure that she trains it in where she wants it to grow rather than leaving it to its own devices. And we go straight to Paul in Whittam, who's asking about rhubarb. Is that right, Paul? Yes, I'm going up to ask, can I grow rhubarb in a large pot or tub? You can indeed. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Uh, the, lady, the lady at a garden centre I go to, she said, they don't grow very well in pots, she said. Well, the, the, the issue with, <laughs> with rhubarb is that it, it really does need a lot of moisture. Uh, where I come from, uh, well, not where I come from, but where I live at the moment uh, is on the outskirts of the fens, and you will often find wild rhubarb growing on the sides of the dikes, so that they their their roots are sort of constantly moist. What's and the, the issue, for them to be in? well, I would always use for something like that a John Innes, so a John Innes yeah. number two or a John Innes number three, which is also easier to water because it holds a lot of moisture, and you could even, if you wanted to, throw in some water retention gel. Yeah. You know, the oh, stuff that you put in your hanging yeah. baskets. Sorry? I mean, would I, would I put them in the large pot to start with? Yes. Or, or can I? I'd put them straight them, into something like a half oak barrel. A wooden yeah. barrel would be good. You don't want terracotta because it dries out too quickly. A good half oak barrel that's about two foot in diameter would be the best thing. And use a John Innes compost. And as I said, if you want to add some water retention gel, that'll all help. All right. Okay. Uh, can so, I just ask one other quick question? Go please? for it. Can I grow in my conservatory? Can I grow a... Um, Grapevine in a, in a large tub. Uh, yeah, you can grow grapes in in large containers. The, in, the indoor issue, or out. Indoor or out. Uh, the issue yeah, is I, I can't get into the soil, but I thought I'd put one in a tub. You know. Yeah, the issue is depending on the size of the container will determine how much top growth you get, and therefore basically the yield. So you know you you may not be able to train it along the whole length of the conservatory. You might have to restrict its growth and restrict it to say large, only large, two large. or three or four bunches of grapes rather than expecting you know huge yields a big pot you no know, like a couple of feet across or something you know and well the bigger the pot the more top growth it'll support and as a result the more bunches of grapes it'll support All right, thank okay. you very much that's a pleasure and what i was getting at is anybody else listening is that uh, grape vines in this part of the country actually grow quite well outside and in fact ripen quite well outside don't they they so. do and we all know that british fizz is on the up yeah so they are um right we go to dennis in hodderson hello dennis hello there now you're indoors again with an indoor plant aren't you that's right yes it's a calivia yeah lovely 
yeah, it, do, it is lovely when it flowers. It's uh, it's great. But at the moment, it's, my, I think my wife's had it about 20-odd years. Uh-huh. And we've got it in a big pot, pot in the conservatory. Yes. Uh, we've just looked at it. Well, not just looked at it, but the last two or three days looked at it. And we find that uh, there's a couple of offshoots. Yep. Now, can we transfer them over? If so, when can we do it? Okay, yes, you can. I would leave it until uh, March or or possibly early April with a very sharp knife. First of all, just sort of clear any compost away from the around where the offshoots are. And then hopefully you will be able to see a point where you can cut through where it joins the main plant, taking as much root as possible. Then pot it up into a small pot. And by that, I mean one that is literally tiny, just about big enough to take whatever roots you've got, plus a little bit of extra spare compost. And then water, water carefully. And then when the when it fills that small pot with roots, then you can uh, transplant it into something that's just a little bit bigger and grow it on steadily. All right. Okay, that's fine. Thanks very much for your help. So Thanks that's for your about question. March, April. Uh, yep, yep, that's, that's the, the best time. time. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Hello, Ian. Hello there, Ken. What would you like to know? We were bought uh, for New Year, Christmas, a Viburnum Charles Lamont in about a nine-inch pot at the moment. It's been uh-huh. out outside. The ground is a bit too hard to put it in, and I'm thinking anyway... Are you sure, it... Are you sure, Ian? Well, I'm, still, I'm really thinking of putting it into a patio pot because a lot of our back garden is, is patioed over. Okay. I think it would, it would look nice in a, in a pot. Have you I've got, got the pot? Well, I've got a spare one that's about two feet, two feet diameter. Would that be big enough? A bit small, I reckon. Do you? Do you? I've got a new Tom now, Jeff. <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's all right, Pete. Um, uh, what size pot is it in at the moment, Ian? Nine. And- it's about a nine-inch one at the moment. Oh, a nine-inch. Sorry, I, I, yeah, I thought nine you said nine centimetre, no, which nine is obviously inch. quite small. Um, you've got two options, Ian. Um, you can either put it straight into this two-foot pot. Or you can put it into, say, something nearer to a, say, 14 to 15-inch pot and grow it on in the 14 to 15-inch pot for a few years until it becomes pot-bound or, or nearly pot-bound and, and, then then, and then move it into the two-foot pot. My preference is always to do the latter. If you've got a plant that's in a, you know, a nine-inch, eight, nine-inch pot and you put it into a two-foot pot... There's a lot of there's a lot of spare compost that it's not going to grow into for for many many years, and as a result, watering can be a little bit tricky because you you know you don't want it, the roots sitting in loads of wet compost and you don't want the roots sitting in a loads of dry compost and it it gets very tricky to water it properly. Whereas yeah, if you I- move it into a fifteen fourteen to fifteen inch pot. Watering is a lot easier. I think the plants grow better, and I think they flower better as a result too. And, and then move it on. And then, when it be, yeah, before it gets pot bound, in a few years' time, move it into the two. The, the two foot pot will be its final pot. So, that, so you give it a, a one repotting, and that's that's the way I prefer to do things. Now, the lovely little flowers it had on it um, when we received it are, of course, dying off because they. Because of the frost, presumably. Well, no, um, they're just no. They're, they're just dying off. They're just 
dying off. Do I just behead them like you behead any? Mm. Um, no, yeah, no, you, you well, don't you, have to. You, do you, you don't have to, but uh, you know, to tidy it up and, and to sort of you know make sure all its energy is going into new root and leaf growth, it's it's a good well, idea. Certainly, well, while it's small and you can do it quite easily. Yeah, there's new shoots um, showing there, which are um, encouraging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Ian from Holbridge. Um, it was Ian from Holbridge, wasn't it? Well, it was certainly Ian. I it didn't, write, Ian I didn't from, write down where he was from. You didn't write down where he was from. No. We'd not. Dave from Harlow. Hi, Dave. Good morning to you. Um, it's just a quick one. My daughter's got a privet edge, and it's far too wide. And we okay. were wondering when's the best time to cut it back. You can do it now. You could, couldn't you? It's okay to do it now. Yeah, it? yeah. With, with, with privet, certainly. Privet, um, it, it's, it's fine to winter prune privet. No problem at all. Oh, lovely! Um, and it, and, it, and, and at this then. time, at this time of year, it will tolerate quite severe pruning. When you do right. it, it's and, got to go back about ooh, two foot, I should think, because it's about four foot wide. So. Okay, yeah, that should be fine. Right. When you when you prune any hedge, just, and this is you know for for everybody, but any hedge, whenever you do any pruning, always try and make the the base slightly wider than the top, so that. Right. So it looks a bit like a a, 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 a capital A that has yeah. had that has had the a, uh, the top chopped off, because if you keep it straight, the side straight, or if the bottom is narrower than the top, the bottom doesn't get as much light, and therefore that's how you get bare bottoms on your hedges. And it's more important on conifer hedges, but all hedges slightly wider at the base, you'll get much better growth on it. Right, that's smashing. And after yeah. you've and after you've hard pruned it. Give it a good feed with a granular fertiliser. I know it sounds a bit bonkers because you've cut it back because it's grown too much and the fertiliser will make it grow even more. But cutting off that much can be a bit of a shock to the plant. Right. So give it a good feed and then it'll produce lots of new strong leafy growth for you. And we have an email that came in at ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Which is the best place to send them, if if you want us to answer them. (laughs) Get them to me, yes. Now, we've got... This is an ant one, which is... Ant? Ants. Usually we get those in the summer, don't we? Anyway, it's a Prunus um, autumnalis rosea. That's that one with that lovely floret, a tight floret, isn't it? Well, it's the one. It's the the one that starts flowering yes, in the autumn. It's lovely, isn't it? And, and it goes right through flowers, sometimes. Doesn't flowers it? through the winter yeah. and spring. It's a good one. Um, anyway, it says which has been growing in a large pot for approximately eighteen months. It also seemed to have an ant's nest within the pot. Is it possible the ant's nest can affect the root system? Yes. We'll, yes. we'll answer why. Consequently, the growth of the tree is never seems to be fully blossomed. I do top up with a mixture of horse manure and light compost. Mm. That's, not, mm. that's probably not helping either. That's not. That could be too much. What is the best type of feed and how often do I feed it? Love your programme. Keep up the good work. Right, well, let's... Um, Start with the ants. Yes, they do affect it. Well, if you think about what what ants do, is they bore holes. They make mines, don't they? Their their nest is a mine. Miners and uh, roots won't grow in air, so they've made these huge sort of air gaps in your compost. The roots won't grow into them, so therefore any roots that are there are going to be killed. And what's the most important part of any plant? The root. The roots. And so it's it's got less root than it needs to absorb water and nutrients. So So you need to get rid of them. Yeah, so you you need to Not a good time to get rid of them, though, is it? It's not an easy time, is it? Could you use a drench or what? I'd still have a go. What would you do? Just dust some powder on the top of the compost. Powder on the top. Now, what about the horse manure? I reckon she's overdoing it with the horse manure. Yeah, I don't know why people put horse manure in in containers. It's too much for them, isn't it? It's too much. You know, what, what you put into a container is a potting compost. And you don't shove loads of other bits and bobs in as well. The only thing you add to it is a balanced 
fertiliser. Well, you, you obviously feed them, yes. So well, that's what, it. what she could do is she could scrape the top inch or so of the old compost off and replace it with fresh compost. But yes, any plant in a container is going to need feeding. So you either, if you've got the time and you, and you love spending time in your garden, then you can liquid feed your container-grown plants. With putting your dung in a bag and then putting it in a... <laughs> you could, well, no, we won't go there. We'll just anyway. use any, any, any liquid, yeah. any any liquid, liquid fertiliser. Fertilizer. But you only need to do it from March to September, mm. October, because that's the only time they're growing, and they only need feeding when they're growing. But you have to do it every 10 to 14 days or whatever it says on the packaging. Or you use a controlled-release fertiliser, which will feed for six months. So you either do it every week or you do it once, once a, a year. year. The choice is yours, depending on how much time you want to spend. But I think that has answered every question. So enjoy it, because uh, they are nice. I mean, I think winter flowering um, prunuses are rather lovely. Well, I think just... any, any winter flowering plant well, that's true. is brilliant because it's so miserable otherwise outside and you're down <laughs> and it's cold and you can't get outside. And no. Get, put them all, plant them all near your house. That's what I do. Plant all your winter flowering plants near your house. So even if you can't get outside, you can, you still, can, look at them. You can still look at them through the window. And if you've got them right outside, the great thing about lots of winter flowering shrubs the is the perfume. So you only have to open the window of the door mm. of the conservatory or whatever. I mean, if you, want, if you want a green hedge that looks a bit like box, you could use sarka cocker and then of course it's got this beautiful perfume well, see, on i've it. got a sarka cocker in a pot literally just oh. outside my back door so isn't it gorgeous well i was it? going in and out yesterday and, and I, so I had the back door open and the smell inside was fabulous yeah. we'll move on to the phone shall we oh 300 200 40 41 that's the number to call carolyn holland on sea has done just that hello carol oh good morning ken um a hydrangea uh, last summer it started to develop these whites like um yep. Fluffy looking cotton wool balls. Yep. Um, all down the stem, under, on the underside of the leaves. The plant itself wasn't very happy. I bet it wasn't. Um, I did spray it, but um, it didn't seem to do anything. Well, I've left it in, and obviously now there's no leaves or anything on it, but the stems are still covered in these white fungusy things, and the hydrangea next to it, which is about two, three foot away, I can see them appearing on there. Yep. I have been online, which says dig them up and get rid of them. But <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. That I, is dreadful. I don't know which website you God went on for that dear. advice, but I, but I, I'd never, I'd oh, never, I'd ban it. I'd, I'd put it in your trash bin and never go on there again. That oh, is okay. awful advice, isn't it? Yeah. Atrocious. Okay, what you've got, the, just prob- got a the problem you've got is hydrangea scale, which is a type of scale insect. And that fluffy white stuff is actually the egg mass and the young. And the scale themselves look like little brown limpets. And when they're and ready they're to sucking, bre- yeah, yeah and they're, su- they're sucking the sap, which is why the plant's not looking very healthy. And when they when they breed, the the scale. I hope you're not eating your dinner or your breakfast. The scale insects explode open to re- reveal this fluffy mass of the eggs and the young. So what you need to do is that you do need to you can, you heavily infested stems you might want to prune Cut out. Them out and if you do that now it means you're not going to get flowers this year but that might be a risk that you need to take and mm-hmm. then the other thing that you do is that you spray them with an insecticide but there is only one insecticide available to us amateurs on the market that will do any good and that is and that is bug clear yeah. ultra okay. if you've sprayed with anything else it will have had little or no effect on the scale insects 
Right. So should I spray as of now? From well, now it's a, it's or? it's a little bit early, unfortunately. You need to wait probably until next month. Is it worth wiping the stems as well? well you can if, wipe the well, stems, you can wipe, can't you? Um, yeah. If I have, uh, I had a severe infestation of scale on a Japanese maple a couple of years ago, and I literally started by getting some. Uh, kitchen towel and scraping off as much as possible. Luckily, it was only in one area and it wasn't very, very bad. So it, it was quite easy. But, Carol, it's worth a hard prune so that you don't lose your hydrangea. It really right. is. But you Can will... I some of the stems out now or is it too early? Well, no, no, you can do that now, now. But it does mean that you won't get as many flowers this year. No, so you, yeah. you, so you have, if you're going to hard prune, you have to bear that in mind. But it clears it. Yeah. Hello, Maureen. Oh, Hello. Um, yes, uh, I explained to your colleague what the problem was, <clears throat> which he probably hasn't passed over to you. No, 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 we I've talk got... direct to you, so we want to know. Right. You tell me. <laughs> I've got a camellia, which I've had for quite a few years, and it's in a big, large pot out on the patio. Well, I was sweeping up the other day after the birds. They'd made quite a mess with pulling earth out of my containers, and um, and I found all these little buds on the ground, which are obviously buds from the camellia. Now, there were at least a, a dozen of these buds on the ground. And I'm wondering what's doing that. Is it the birds pulling them off or what? Um, OK, Maureen, lots of possibilities. There is. Literally dozens of possibilities. Yes, it's possible that uh, that birds have pecked, at, have pecked at them. Yeah. Um, it's also possible that um, one of the main reasons for bud drop on camellias is that it dried out last summer. No, which... no, it definitely didn't. I bet you oh. it did. I bet you did it did. Did you go on holiday? No, 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 no. I would... Right, so I you can guarantee... You've... You can, guarantee to, you can guarantee to me that you never, ever allowed it to dry out. No, no, I listen to you, and um, and that's what I've um, gained from you. Oh, well, that's we'll right. have to we'll have to take that okay. one as a, it's watered. <laughs> yeah, I do keep it watered where it's OK, summer. we'll let you off that one, then. Dry summer. Yes, yeah, so I'll carry on. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. <laughs> because because the, the, some, the research that they've done on camellia bud drop shows that it only needs to dry out for as little as 24 hours oh, during, right. during the 10 weeks between June and August when the buds right. are setting for them to drop. So I bet there's been at least one period of 24 hours that your camellia dried out, no matter how adamant that you are. Anyway, <laughs> the other thing is that uh, if the compost is dry as well at this time of year and we get uh, strong cold winds, that, right. can also, that can also affect them. And also if the compost is on the dry side and we get sort of very low temperatures and frosts mm. and, and or uh, right. a combination with uh, cold winds, that can also affect them. Right. So do you suggest then that I water it now? Well, if it's if the comp yeah, I mean you, you know any plant if the compost is dry, all plants are going to suffer. So you should always be checking your containers in winter to make as sure as much as yeah. in summer. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. and it and it's you know it's quite easy be for containers to dry out during the winter months. So, oh yes. right. Oh right. yeah, well, I see. Now, so. There's just a, just a thought. <laughs> if you get very heavy frost, do you still water then, Jeff? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Def definitely. Oh yeah. yeah. That I, would, I, I wouldn't take. I wouldn't take the temperature no, into I just consideration. I'd add that in. I mean, I agree with you, but I was just che just cross checking so that. if you get a severe think, frost, yeah. a, a, a moist, wet compost can actually help help and reduce the freezing effect on oh, the roots. Right. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, just one other question then. Yes, Maureen, uh, we'll, let you, we'll let you get that one in. <laughs> um, I heard you saying to someone earlier about pruning um, something and after heavy pruning to always feed. That's right, does that yep. Apply, does that apply to my roses? Um, when oh, I yeah. Them yeah, 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 yeah. Roses are incredibly heavy feeders, so you should be right. feeding your roses at least twice a year with a rose fertiliser, and the first time is to do it after you prune them in February, March. Oh, that's fine then. Okay. But do you, and, and you heard what Jeff said, use a rose fertiliser. There's so many add-ins into yeah. a rose fertiliser, it's well worth using them. Yeah, I have actually got a rose fertiliser, but I didn't realise you had to do it that early. I do it in the spring and um, later on, yeah. Well, well, February, February, March, February, March is, is more or less it? spring. Is it? Yes, OK. Well, I, I meant after after the pruning, you know. Yeah, no, that's right, after that's pruning. I do it, yeah. As you prune yeah. them. Yeah. Prune, tidy okay. up the bed and give them a good feed. OK? But, just, but, twice, but just twice a year. Well, if you're using a granular rose fertiliser... the Which I am, yeah. You don't the, 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 the main ones that you can buy from garden centres, um, you would feed once... February, March after pruning, and the second time, late June, early July, are the, oh, recommend, right. are the recommended feeding give, times. It should give you a second good flush of flower as well. Yes, OK, lovely. Right. Thank you very much. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. I'm gradually moving my allotment and intend to grow veg and fruit in my home garden, where I would like to grow some veg... There is a wide patch of aconitum, which has been there for years. Would that be a problem? If he digs it all out, would it be unsafe to grow vegetables there? I can see what he's getting I at. I can, because it's, uh, it's, po it's yeah, a poisonous. Aconitum is, is, is very poisonous. poisonous. If you eat, eat it, it, it will have no effect. If, if, the, grounds, the ground's not being no. affected by no. aconitum. No. It's, it's that you don't want to mix your spinach with your aconitum, do you? No, you don't want to sort of accidentally harvest aconitum with your spinach and eat the, eat, eat the two together. So, no, growing plants near poisonous plants won't affect the plants. It's only when you actually eat the plant itself. Slowly bringing the asparagus crowns home, wants to grow them in large containers. I know you will say, don't bother. I wouldn't agree. I think you can. You'd mm, say, don't bother. I don't know what I'd say. You've got to have a big container for it to work and yeah. you've got to have very rich compost and yeah. you've got to keep them moist. Yeah. But you could do it. Yeah, you could. No, you could. Absolutely, you could. So what's, what's the question? Is she, does she want to know, can she grow them in containers? Yeah. What do you advise anything specific and can I do it to improve success? Or is she going to grow them in where the aconitum was? I'd grow them in containers. Or would you put it in the aconitum bed? I'd do both. Bit of each. Yeah, well, bit of each. Again, uh, you know, it's, it's a long-term crop. You know, you can have asparagus cropping for 20-odd years. So, I, you know, again, when you plant... Asparagus in a container, I would definitely be using a John Innes number three compost. And again, I would be using a container that is that is ideally wooden. You know, pl plastic ones really haven't got enough insulation no, unless they're no. very thick plastic. Terracotta is going to dry out too quickly. And if you go for anything like, you know, zinc or, or lead, well, <laughs> they're far too expensive. Exactly. Well, for, for poor people like me, anyway. No. But wood's, Wood. a, wood's a good choice. I mean, barrels, half barrels are great, yeah, aren't absolutely. They? they really work well. Yeah. And last for a long time. No, they do fall apart, but last a long, well, long if time, you, um, they? Well, you know, if you treat the wood yeah. every year or every couple of years... 
then quite well, they will, yeah. will last quite well. I just remember if you are buying one that was used in the um, fermentation of alcohol, shall we say, they usually don't come with drainage holes. Okay. So you're going to need to dig, uh, dig, drill. Drill. <laughs> drill. I drill drainage drill. holes rather than dig them. It's a lot easier. Yes, it is indeed. Now, trying to dig through the bottom of your... Ah, don't work. Joy in Springfield, you've got a. Are you going back to. We're talking camellias, Joy? Yes, we are, yes. I've had a camellia in the garden for some years and I managed to uh, um, put a branch in with a hoop into the ground to root it and I managed to root it. No, oh, well done. That was about 18 months ago. It's in a pot at the moment and it's about. Uh, uh, two of the branches are about three foot tall and the others are two foot. The three foot ones are. Uh, branching out and made three like branches at the top what do i do with it now there's no buds on it yet no it's unlikely to, it's to young, flower this year as, it, it, no. as it's still quite small so it's obviously still attached to the main plant no no i've managed to do oh, that right. oh, all right you've so, done well there yeah so you yeah. actually you've actually got it growing independently on yeah. its own and it, it's you know it's really strong and healthy and the three branches are they coming from low down on the plant yes yes um, and do, and is it strong, compact growth? Does it look okay? Very strong, yeah. Lovely, healthy, dark green, shiny leaves. All right. Well, I'd, I'd leave well alone. I mean, you know, there's oh. no there's no point in unless you think that you've got one of those branches or two of those branches that are thin or a bit weak or they've grown in the wrong direction. Then let you can grow. then you can prune them. But otherwise, just let them get on with it. Yeah, and how big, uh, as it grows, how big a pot should I put it in? It's in one about 18 inches at the moment. Uh, well, that's, in, that, that'll adequate probably... for a long that, time. Yeah, that'll be good for a couple of years. Just make okay. sure that, um, you know, every sort of every spring or every autumn, you just have a quick look at the roots and see if it's become pot-bound. And just, you know, if it has become pot-bound, then put it into the next size pot. Or if it's just... Okay. looks so like it's just about it to be. at all. No, not at all. No, if, it, if, you're, if you're happy with the shape and, and the way it's growing, leave well alone. That's lovely. That's okay. all I needed to know. <laughs> Thanks, Joy. Thank and, and well done on doing your, yeah, your, good, air, your air layering. Yeah, that's very good indeed. Now we go to Pauline in Whittam. Hello, Pauline. Hello, Ken. How you're, are you? What are we talking Oh, we're fine. How about you? What are you talking about today, Pauline? Rhubarb. Rhubarb to you as well. Are you having it with custard? <laughs> I... I I like it with custard, yes. What would you like to <laughs> now, what would you like what to I know? I want to ask you is um when can I force it on? Next uh, month? About about or... two weeks about two weeks ago. Yes, start now, <laughs> right yes. now. Oh, start now. Oh right. Okay. After twelve o'clock. Yeah, oh, wait, yeah, wait yeah. twelve minutes. <laughs> and use yes, shredded yes. paper, bit of straw, anything like that, put around it in an old bucket or a big tub, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I've got an old I've got a compost. Ideal. Well, as long as it as long as it excludes all the lights, basically it's got to have it will do. It's got to have pitch blackness, and then yeah, and put some put some straw or some uh, some padding around it to keep it on the slightly warm and bit of manure on the soil, and away you go. Right, lovely. Okay, thank you very much. Could I ask you just one more question? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, what's up Um, with your roses? Well, nothing really. I've got quite a lot, and they were. um, quite tall but i can remember ken saying some while back use um hedge cutters just cut them off with hedge cutters and then prune them later well oh, you you you, you can no we know we're, we're just looking at each other the fact that ken, <laughs> the, the fact that ken had actually said something sensible to you oh, oh, cheeky, cheeky, cheeky. oh it's 
about time I got oh. about time I got my own back. Um, you you basically you can prune roses with hedge trimmers. The Royal National Rose Society. Yeah. I don't like. They look messy. Well, they do look messy. They look flipping awful. And the other thing is, yeah. you can only really do it for about three or four years because after that time, oh. they they do deteriorate. So, oh, right. you, so oh, if you know, right. I know, I know you're posh, Pauline. I'm sure you've got this 200 yard long driveway up to your house with oh, rose beds no. either side. No, no. no. I've got a 200 yard back garden, no. Okay, I mean, if you if you had hundreds of roses, that would take a long time yeah. to prune uh, I know. properly. A hedge trimmer is a great way of doing it. If you've it's only got one, do it, do it, do it with the secateurs and do it properly. And then, yes, I will do, yeah. and then give them a good feed after. All right? Yes, will do. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Pauline. Thanks, Pauline. We can squeeze one more. Go on, we can squeeze a call in. I reckon a couple of calls. 0300 200 40 41. Come on, we'll squeeze you in before 12. 0300 200 40 41. I'll go to the text. And we have one here that says, I have two light green conifer trees in large pots on the patio. Sadly, they're turning brown. Is there anything I can do about it? And that's Barbara. I reckon they are gold crest. What do you reckon? Light green gold crest? Well, well that's yellowy well, colour, isn't it? Well, gold crest is a good guess, but considering, they don't like the cold weather, considering there's about 500 other yes. gold... Anyway, they've gone brown. Yeah, well, I bet. OK, well, browning on conifers is down to hundreds of things. Uh, the usual ones, especially if you've got them in containers, is that the, the, compost, the compost has dried out. You haven't yep. watered them enough. They're in a windy position and the wind will act like a vacuum cleaner and it sucks wind, uh, sucks wind, sucks <laughs> water. It began with W. Sucks water out of the leaves and if there's no water in the compost to replace it, then they go Off brown. A, a cat may have decided to do its business on it, but if you it's all know. over, it's going to be drying out in the compost, cold and strong winds that will be the main problem. Now, Barbara, it depends on how brown they are. If they're very brown, I think it's best to put them if in the, the bin. If the browning's gone all the way back down to the main stem... Chuck them away. ...then the technical word we use for that is dead. That's right. D-E-A-D. Uh, if it's only on the outsides of the foliage and if you were to trim that off, you'd be back down to green, that would be fine, but I wouldn't do that now. I'd leave that till March, no, April. March, April time, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So they are. We had another question about roses from June in Margaretting, but, of course, that was interesting because we actually didn't touch that, and that was... Um, Pruning roses, which we 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 touched on that there, but we didn't ask her when she was going to prune them, did we? No, or, on that or, last one, or how, or how? Or how we were going to prune no. them. No, she talked about pruning with hedge trimmers, yeah, but which I hate. But anyway, is it too early to prune roses at the moment? That's I, what June I, wanted I, to know. I won't, I won't do it now. When when do you do it? I do it last week of February, first week of March. And that's I've always been a March person. I suppose it's something that you start. You could do doing. it now. You can do it now. Okay, the reason that I leave it as late yep. as I did, that you can do it now. If you prune them hard back, which is what you're supposed to do for hybrid teas, you cut them back to four to six inches from ground level. Yep. For floribundas, it's sort of a bit less severe, six to nine inches from ground level. If you do that now, and we then get some severe frosts fairly soon afterwards. Because you've cut them back hard, there are very few buds left. And if you get frost into those cuts, it will kill some of the buds. And So off. you'll get dye back on the top so of them. So you get dye back and you'll have to prune them further back and that will be too far back. If you leave it a bit later, there are less likely to be as severe frosts and you've got a better chance of the plant growing away better. 
And last but not least on the questions for today, I just wanted to answer a question about a law, uh, from a lawn expert. Are you one? Would you let someone come and put moss treatment on a lawn when it is covered in thick frost that lasts all day? <laughs> 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 Uh, whoa, 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 I know. I'm guessing what that is, but we won't go there. Uh, uh, there's uh, a lot of lawn companies out there at the moment. What, what, <laughs> twiddling, trying to earn a twiddling their thumbs with, well, with yeah, very little it's to frosty, do. Yeah. Yeah. Would you let someone come and you can answer yes and no, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> if somebody came onto my lawn, or if somebody came even into my garden, even trod on my lawn when it's flat frozen, if somebody came into my garden, and was expecting to put a lawn treatment of any type, whether it's a fertiliser or a moss killer or a weed killer on my lawn, I think I would uh, meet them with a cattle prod. And I'd zap them and tell them to come back when the weather was better. Well, it doesn't say who it is, but I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and in fact, uh, Jeff, um, it's, it's an interesting one. Just to clarify that if you walk on a lawn in frosty weather, you basically break the stem yeah, you bru- and the you, cells get bruised. You bruise them and then you get you get die back and, and almost like black or brown foot-shaped marks on your lawn which look horrible. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast and if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11.